Romans 8, 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. So I have a um, suggestion for you. I mean, seriously, I want you to try it. I'd like for you to, um, this week or next, ask somebody what the word evangelical means. Okay, step out of your comfort zone. Um, you could ask somebody that that you know is a Christian or would define themselves an evangelical or somebody here, but I also want you to ask somebody outside the circle, right, what they think evangelical means. And if you do, you're probably going to get a wide variety of definitions or descriptions, right? That's just going to be typical. One description you might get is, um, I guarantee you before long, you're going to run into this one, probably really early in the process. Somebody's going to say, well, um, people who are evangelical represent a particular voting block in the United States. Guarantee you. Somebody's going to say that. That one always kind of turns my stomach, but anyway, I don't want to be known as a voting block in this country. Or somebody might say, well, those are those people who really take the Bible seriously. They might say something about inspiration or authority or inerrancy, or they may even say something in a derogatory way like, you know, they're just Bible thumpers, you know, they're always quoting the Bible. Or they might say, well, those are people who are really interested in evangelism. And they might also add something like, they're really too aggressive with their evangelism, trying to convince people to follow Jesus, turn or burn, salvation for the soul. You might run into that. You might also run into this comment, evangelicals are not people who are particularly interested in caring for the poor or the environment. You might run into that too. So this week, I was invited by a group of people to um, come basically be interviewed. The group of people was a group of people in this community that are passionate about the environment. And you know what they wanted to know? What's an evangelical? And why do they hate the environment so much? 
Well, I did my best to represent you well. I gave them names, addresses, emails, everything. Seriously, I, I, I began by trying to address the diversity that is evangelicalism, right? And I tried to help them to understand that we're not monolithic. By the way, this conversation, which was them just asking me questions, went on for an hour, full hour. And I was loving every minute of it. I just like that stuff. So I had a, a fascinating time talking with them. But I went away, and even before I got there, I kind of knew. But I went away sad. Sad because we were defined as a voting block and a group of people who didn't like the environment. Is that the way you want to be known? I don't. I think I, we, are much broader than that. But here's something else. You see, I think the good news is way broader than that. I think evangelical, which means the good news concerning Jesus Christ. That's the simple definition of the word evangelical. Good news concerning Jesus Christ. The good news concerning Jesus Christ is huge. It's expansive. It's not just global in all parts of the world. It's all of creation itself. When Jesus came, he announced what evangelical meant. And in a few words, he basically said this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Come and follow me. That's how he announced the beginning of his ministry. He did it in his hometown, and nobody listened to him. Nobody cared. But to be more particular, he did it with some words, which I want to refer to later. So what is the good news concerning Jesus Christ? What is the kingdom of God? What is evangelical? I want to suggest that it's at least three words. I'm going high tech here. Hang with me. It worked. First word is corruption. Second word, which I don't know if it will come up or not. Nope. Go back. Second word, restoration. The third word, participation. Corruption, restoration, participation. That's the way I want to frame the good news for a moment. Follow me. Here's the reality of the situation. It's rather ironic. It's sort of odd. Did you know the good news is the result of corruption? The good news is announced because things have gone wrong. In the story of the Garden of Eden, we have the story of beginnings. And in the story of beginnings, everything was okay. Everything was okay until sin entered the world. 
And when sin entered the world, it's the first proclamation concerning the good news. After the corruption, after the decay, after the scandal of sin, the good news is announced. You know the story. It's a story of Adam and Eve. It's a story of a serpent. It's a story when humanity rebelled against God. It's also the ultimate story of beauty to ashes. Beauty to ashes. And during that story, there was an announcement made by God concerning the result of what had just happened, the fall. Here's the announcement that God made. Speaking to Adam, to Eve, to the serpent, he says, cursed is the ground because of you, sin and Satan. Through painful toil, you, Adam and Eve, will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. You know what's interesting about that sentence structure? Part of it would have preceded the fall. You will eat food from it, the earth, all the days of your life. However, because of the fall, the ground which produces the fruit you would eat is now cursed. And that beautiful, perfect ground is going to be painful in toil for you. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will plant and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground. By the sweat of your brow. Look, Ryan was just up here with Michael and they were talking about our community garden. And they talked about weeds. Or at least in the first service they did. You have to pull them. See, here's the story. That garden, pre-fall, has got no weeds. And it's a picture of life. It's not just about a garden. It's a picture of humanity. Things grow and prosper and we invest in them. And there's no toil and there's no sweat and there's no weeds. But into the corruption comes good news. And here's the good news. God says a few verses before this. He says concerning this condition of corruption, I have good news for you. The woman who gave in to the serpent is going to bear a child. And that child is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the crushing of the head of the serpent will destroy the serpent but bruise his heel. Christians look back at that passage and they say, that is a reference to creation restored through Messiah Jesus Christ. In the resurrection, in his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ crushes the head of sin and death and brings resurrection life to all who believe. And in the process, metaphorically, he bruises his heel. He's definitely damaged. But the good news is corruption, this corruption that we see, will all be taken care of through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. The second point is restoration. In restoration, um, we, have a, we have an image that was just read for us. Now remember, 
when we just mentioned Genesis and the earth and the restoration of the earth and the groaning and all that kind of thing that's coming in this next passage, remember to link them together. Take a look at this passage again. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Stop. Whenever Paul speaks, he's almost always implying something else. He's implying that behind his words, as the backdrop to the good news that he's proclaiming, is this whole narrative of the Old Testament, right? It's everywhere. When you read Paul's letters, if you're not aware of it, you would be surprised how many times he's quoting the Old Testament or referring to it. So Paul, when he makes these statements in Romans chapter 8, has the creation and the corruption in the background. He has the story that we just read. The whole creation, he said, has been groaning like in pain birth right up to the present time. Everything since the beginning when the corruption began has resulted in this groaning of creation. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. What, what are the first fruits of the Spirit? The first fruits of the Spirit are basically you. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your inheritance of the resurrection itself. The reality that is yours, that once you die, you will be raised because of Christ's resurrection. You are that, as Christ was that. Paul says we're already experiencing this first fruits, right? And this first fruits right here, we groan inwardly. What are we groaning inwardly for? We're anticipating the adoption as sons. Now, wait just a minute. Haven't we already been adopted as sons? Isn't Christ our elder brother? Aren't we children of God? Yes. This is a perfect passage to emphasize a theological theme. It's called already, not yet. Already, we've been adopted as children of God. Already, our sins are forgiven. Already, sin and death has been conquered. Already, but not yet. Because you know what? I buried my father. And he hasn't been raised. And unless God restores everything before my death, somebody in my family is going to bury me. And I won't be raised. Not until the last day when God pronounces the ultimate, final restoration of all things. So inwardly, we groan because of the weight of sin those of us who are the first fruits of Christ's labor, and inwardly we groan because we're looking to be adopted. We're looking to actually inherit the eternal life that is ours forever. So, the redemption of our bodies is what we hope for. But look at the next statement. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Well, nobody. You don't hope for it, you have it. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. What does hope mean in that passage? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean I'm hoping that my ship will come in. 
I'm hoping that I'm going to hit it rich. I'm hoping that I'm going to win the lottery. That's not the kind of hope he's talking about here. He's talking about hope that eagerly waits for something. Why do you eagerly wait for something in this context? You eagerly wait for it because you already have it. The already has transpired. Christ has been raised. You've inherited eternal life. But the not yet is what you eagerly wait for. You wait for the hope that will be fully restored in the end. So we have corruption, and this is restoration. Then there's participation. Then there's participation. There we go. Corruption, restoration, participation. When Jesus came to this earth, he announced the kingdom of God. But have you ever noticed how frequently, if not always, when Jesus announces the kingdom of God, it's, an, it's accompanied by an invitation? When the disciples heard the good news concerning the kingdom of God, it wasn't just, oh, wow, that's coming, that's great. It was, follow me. Why? Because we're participating in the restoration of all things, right here and right now. We're active agents with God in restoring creation. And when we step into the kingdom of God with Jesus, we are proactively in that process. We don't know when the culmination is going to take place, but we know right here and right now we're a part of participating in God's work. Jesus put it this way when he went to his hometown. That's not the way he put it. He, he had something to say. This stuff is great when it works. There you go. Look what Jesus says. He goes to his hometown and he says in a synagogue, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Is there anything not included in that list? That's huge. Jesus said, I'm coming to pronounce, proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's all of this. The good news is not just about the salvation of the soul. It is, my friends. It is. I believe it. At the core of my being. But that's not what it's all about. It's about everything. It's about all this. It's about healing. It's about serving the poor. It's about restoring creation. It's about everything. Because the kingdom of God is that big. It's that huge. So what did Jesus do after he made this pronouncement. If you're reading in Luke's gospel, what you'll find is two things. One, he started doing it. And two, 
he invited his disciples to follow. That's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to the kingdom of God. The disciples didn't just hear the good news about the kingdom of God and said, Yay, that's for us. Now I have a relationship with Jesus. Now I can walk in peace. Now I know I'm going to heaven. That's not the message of the disciples. The message of the disciples is, are you kidding me? You let me become a part of the kingdom of God? How can I participate? And they lived their lives with their words and with their actions, proclaiming and bringing about the kingdom of God in every area of life. They followed Jesus. They went about he- teaching and preaching and healing. So that's a quick overview, <laughs> my version of what the gospel is, with three words, corruption, restoration, and participation. So the last part of it is this, right? What's our job? Our job is to reach out. Our job is to extend the kingdom of God. Our job is to restore creation. And it looks like so many different things. Um, in your bulletin, there's, a, there's an insert. It says, local and personal outreach at ECC. Let me tell you something about this insert. It's, it's not complete. I don't mean we're putting another one in next week. What I mean is that it doesn't include everything. It's just part of what's going on. And it's marvelous. Look at the first page. Caps for Ghana. Is that the gospel? You bet it is. Do we put a little note in there for John 3.16 and ask people before they hand out the cap to the infant to preach the gospel? No. What does the cap do? It goes to tiny little babies and their mothers so it can keep their heads warm. And you know what? That's the good news. Or how about another one, the ECC Community Garden? We got this guy who did a PhD in biology who said, you know what? That's part of the kingdom of God. I think what I'll do is I'll take what I know concerning biology and I'll go out to that garden and I will do my best to produce fresh vegetables for people who don't have it. And as a part of the process, they learn what good food is. Do you know that Mother Hubbard's Cupboard does not have anyone who contributes as large a quantity to their store as ECC? That's the gospel. Turn next page. How about this one? Bloomington Habitat Stewards? What in the bejeebers is that? Well, I know what it is. I, I know who it is. 
Vicki Getty is the contact person. Take a look at what they're passionate about. They're passionate about the earth. Why? Because it's the Lord's. Why? Because we're caretakers in that garden. Why? Because it's fallen under corruption and we can help to restore it. By the way, most of you don't know her face, so it won't make her feel uncomfortable, but Vicki Getty's also on the missions committee. And she is absolutely passionate about the salvation of souls. But she's also passionate about this. And both of them are the gospel. So here's the question, what does the gospel look like? Apart from the salvation of the soul, which it is It looks like deeds of love and mercy. It looks like ministering to the elderly and to the sick. It looks like going to Garden Villa and sitting down with an elderly person who cannot communicate a word and you talk to them. That's the good news. It means giving to the poor. It means fighting hunger. It means restoring creation. It means establishing civil order. I stopped with that one because the list could go on. See, I got a blank piece of paper up here. I want you to look at the blank piece of paper. And I want to ask you, What can you add to it? What's the kingdom of God? Where is it? How are you involved in it? Or how could you become involved in it? It's everything. It's everywhere. It's the whole earth that is full of of his glory. So I also want to say this. I don't want to just challenge you with a blank piece of paper and ask you to fill it in. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for what you're doing. I want to say thank you for spreading the kingdom of God because I know you are. And I want to encourage you that wherever you spread the kingdom of God or whatever task you take up that you don't now do, that you do the task. You do that basic task. And you pray. You pray what Jesus taught you to pray. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. And let me contribute with my hands. You know, the number one fear, apparently, in the United States is not lions or tigers or snakes. It's a fear of public speaking. I have to admit, I don't understand that. Right? (laughs) 
just not part of my DNA. But I know it's many, many, many people's fear. And coupled with that fear, and I understand this one better, coupled with that fear is a fear of not being able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ with words. You know that fear? I'm sure you do. First of all, there's ways to overcome that fear and the fear of public speaking, and I'm all about that. But I don't want to go there right now. What I want to say is this. So that's your fear. So you feel inarticulate. So you feel like every time you try, your tongue is tied. Instead, focus on the kingdom of God through deeds and pray the prayer. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. One great saint of the church said on an occasion, Preach the gospel always and whenever necessary with words. Maybe you're not a word guy, but you can do. So I encourage you to continue that work. Find new places and help to establish the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are so grateful that you invited us into the kingdom. It would have been one thing if you just announced it. It would have been, wow, isn't that something? God's going to do that. But that's not what you did. You didn't put a period at the end of the sentence in that way. You announced it for the purpose of invitation. You announced it to invite us in to that kingdom of God, to establish it all around us. And Lord, we begin by a confession. We know that we don't do what we ought to do. We know that we fall short of your glory and and we're saved by grace and we know that we fall short as servants of Jesus Christ. And maybe we're just plain scared to establish the kingdom of God. But we're called to it, Lord. It's such a wonderful reality that we have been redeemed by you. A free gift of grace and And we no longer need fear, death, and hell, and and all those ominous things. Because we've been promised a resurrection through Jesus Christ, and that's so wonderful, Lord. And, And we've embraced it, but Lord, we have one more confession. Embracing that reality, which is so wonderful could turn into a narcissistic personality. It could become all about us. We could be so self-satisfied by that portion of the good news that we wouldn't extend the good news to others. So give us the grace and the courage and the energy to know what our part is in reaching out and establishing the kingdom of God. And as we do it, most of the time silently, may our prayer be, Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done 
on earth just as it is in heaven. We're confident of one thing. If we pray, you will hear us. And that we thank you for. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.